We greet you in Jesus' name. It's good to be with you once again. And I wish you God's blessing as you go through this weekend. As Brother Dwight has already shared, God already knows, but we do not. And we're anticipating what he's going to reveal to us this weekend. And so I wish you God's blessing in that. The church's responsibility in establishing leadership. And I forewarned Dwight that I um, may pick at his title just a little bit. The church's responsibility in establishing leadership. Who is it, brethren and sisters, that establishes leadership? Is it the church? And I would simply change the title, if I may, brother, and I'm not picking at you. The church's responsibility in maintaining leadership. How many of you believe this evening that God has already ordained that in the institutions of men that there is leadership? And that is, that is God's design, that is God's This is what God has established. God has designed that in the institutions of man there would be leadership, whether that's in the family, whether that's in our civil arena, civil government and so on, or whether that's in the church. God has established that there be leadership. And we have many people that would tend to challenge why it is that people need leaders. And I'm not necessarily going to go into that this evening, but brethren and sisters, I would like for us to understand something this evening, and that is that it is God's design, it is not ours. That in the institution of the church, that there be leaders. The Apostle Paul said there is no power or authority but of God. And the powers that be are ordained of God. So it is God that puts, and obviously that is not, that is speaking of civil authority. It's not necessarily speaking of church's authority. And we believe, brethren and sisters, that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And he, along with his father, have established That in the church of Jesus Christ, there would be leadership. And people have questioned that. Why isn't every brother a leader and we just leave it there? We keep it there. But I would say to you this evening that if the church is going to rise to her responsibility... It is imperative that we embrace what God has already established 
and we maintain it. God has established that there would be leadership. It is divinely established and ordained. Tonight we're reminded of our humanity. Is that right, Brother Warren? You know why there's another ordination here at Prairie? Because of our humanity. Which means what? <laughs> We're much like the priests of the old covenant, aren't we? Turn to, if you want to turn to Hebrews chapter 7. And verse 23, making the comparison of Jesus, our high priest, to the priests of the old covenant. And I'm simply going to pick one verse here, Hebrews 7 and verse 23. And they truly were many priests, or there were many priests in the old covenant. And why was that? Why was that? Because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. So they came, they served their time, and they passed on. And that's where we're at this evening. Now, I think we are wise to consider that the transition of leadership or the maintenance of leadership can happen before death occurs. In fact, I believe that we are wise to consider that. That is not always the option because sometimes we don't have the option to choose. But when we do, and age begins to increase, there is a time to consider turning the mantle over to someone else. And that's why we're here this this weekend. Brother Warren has decided that time has come. Is that right? And so now we look for someone to replace him. And it's because of our humanity, because of our human weakness, we cannot continue indefinitely because ultimately we die. I would use one example of the transition of leadership from Deuteronomy 31. Deuteronomy 31 and verse 14. And the Lord said unto Moses, Behold, thy days approach that thou must die. So, what were we just talking about? He said, the days approach, God told Moses, the days approach when you're going to die. 
Call Joshua and present yourself yourselves in the tabernacle of the congregation, and I will give him a charge. And Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tabernacle of the congregation, and the Lord appeared in the tabernacle in a pillar of cloud, and the pillar of the cloud stood over the door of the tabernacle. And then in verse 22, Moses therefore wrote this song the same day and taught it the children of Israel. And he gave Joshua the Joshua the son of Nun a charge and said, Be strong and of good courage, for thou shalt bring the children of Israel into the land which I swear unto them, and I will be with thee. So, God told Moses, you're going to die. It's time for you to make sure that leadership continues. He said, take Joshua, go in and give him a charge. And he is the one. You're not going over Jordan. You're not going into the land. But Joshua will take his people into the land. Now, turn with me to Judges chapter 2. And you are probably familiar with this passage of Scripture. But Judges chapter 2 and verse 6. And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man into, unto his inheritance to possess, the, to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being a hundred and ten years old. So now we're, we've passed on. Moses died, now Joshua died. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timmath Heres, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill of Gagash. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them that knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. Now, I would like you to consider this this evening, brethren and sisters. Understand that Moses was succeeded by Joshua. And Joshua was succeeded by whom? Do you know? Now, I don't think there was a total absence of leadership in Israel, but I suggest to us this evening that one of the reasons that there arose a generation in Israel that knew not the Lord is because of a lack of leadership or leadership that was not functioning as they should have functioned. And my dear friends, the work before us this weekend is serious. 
Because if the people of God are going to maintain the principles of God, we must maintain all of them, including positions of leadership. And how it was, how it was, and I think, I think we get into, you know, one generation will rise up and say, this is not the way it ought to be. And they, they, maybe they start a new work or something happens and people get on fire and they embrace that. And another generation comes and another generation and the next thing you know we're in a settled condition and we become lax and indifferent. And we can easily raise a generation that knows not the Lord. And so I suggest to us this evening that the work before us is serious. Now, I'd like to look at a biblical pattern. And I'm going to begin in the Old Testament. And you may wonder why I do this. But I have, I have been impressed with this. Turn with me to, first of all, to Deuteronomy 18. And this is the institution of a prophet. By the way, can anyone tell me out of what incident a specific incident, out of what incident do we have the institution of the prophets? Well, let's read. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. I want you to listen this evening. Not to what I have to say, but what the Word of God has to say. The Lord thy God. So may I pause there and ask you a question. Who is it that rightly calls men into leadership? It is God. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. So, what's the criteria here? It is one that God called, and where was he to come from? From the midst of thee, of thy brethren. The prophet. Okay. If there was ever a prophet that came from the nation of, let's say, the Edomites. If there was ever a prophet that came to Israel and said, I'm an Edomite and God told me this. 
If if the Israelites knew the word of God, they would have immediately raised red flags. Because God said, I will this and by the way, this is the institution of the prophets. I will raise up a prophet. I will raise him up. And he's going to be and Moses said he's going to be like me of thy from the midst of thee of thy brethren like unto me. The institution of the prophets. Now, note the next verses. According unto all that thou desirest the Lord thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more that I die not. And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that they have spoken. When the Ten Commandments were first given, how were they given? Do you know how the Ten Commandments were initially given? They were given audibly. And it was the voice of God speaking the Ten Commandments to the people. And they were so frightened. That experience frightened them so tremendously that they said, they came to Moses and said, Moses, listen, we don't want God to speak to us anymore. We've heard the voice of God. And they were so frightened that they said, we don't want God to speak to us anymore. You have God speak to you, and then you come and tell us whatever God says, and whatever God says we're going to do. <coughs> now, you can question me on that, but it's out of that, in, out of that incident Back there, when the Ten Commandments were initially given, when the people of Israel heard the voice of God, and they came to Moses and said, No, no. And by the way, you will find that every time that that incident is recorded, that it it records this request of the children of Israel, God said, They have well spoken what they have spoken. In other words, their request was legitimate. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure that I fully understand or ascertain why it is, why it was that God said that was a legitimate request on the part of the people. Except in my Musings, the many times that God was ready to totally destroy the Israelite nation, had he continued to have that direct contact with them, he may have destroyed them. I, now, obviously that didn't happen, and there's a reason it didn't happen, because it was God's will. But note what the prophet was to do. The prophet, let them, well, let's read on. Verse 18. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words 
which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. And then it goes on to talk about if a prophet does speak things that God has not asked him to speak, then the prophet had a problem. But God said the institution of prophet, the prophet is like going to function like this. I will put my words in his mouth and he will come and tell you what he's been told. And then it's up to you to make a decision what you're going to do with that. Now, I do not claim the exact same stance for ministry today. But the one thing I will tell you is that ministry today is ordained of God just as the prophets of old were ordained of God. God was to call them. They were to come from among the brethren. Now, turn back one chapter. Deuteronomy chapter 17. And verse 14. When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shalt possess it, and shalt dwell therein, and shalt say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are about me, thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. So what was the requirement of the prophet? He had to be called of God. What was the requirement of the king? He had to be called of God. You are not to set a man as king over the people that I did not choose. And then what's the next phrase? One of thy brethren shalt thou set king over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother. And then it goes on to give some instruction about the things he was not to do. But then down in verse 18, And it shall be, when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom, (coughs) that he shall write him, a copy of the law in a book out of that which is before the priests, the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, and he shall, excuse me, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of this law and these statutes to do them, that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren, that he turn not aside, from the commandment to the right hand or to the left to the end that he may prolong his days in the kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. So God said the prophet was to be called of God. He was to come from among the people. The king was to be called of God and he was to come from among the people. And in addition to that, the king was to write 
And I suspect he didn't do this himself. In fact, I don't know of any of the kings that actually would record that they did this. But they were to have their own personal copy of the law. And they were to meditate in it. And it reminds me of what God told Joshua. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. I mean, you are to meditate in it day and night. And that's what's going to make your way prosperous. And that's how you will have success. If you meditate in the book of the law. And so, the prophet was called of God, and he was to come from among the people. The king was called of God. And he was to come from among the people. And one of the, it's God specifically says, mentions this issue of being lifted up above the people. And I believe that is, that is significant because he is one of the people, even though he's been called to a specific work. There's one more office in the Old Testament. What is it? The priest. So what do you think it says about the priest? Turns me to... We're going to the New Testament now. Turns me to Hebrews chapter 5. Now, this is specifically speaking of the high priest. Because again, as we mentioned earlier, we're making a comparison to Jesus Christ, our high priest. Hebrews chapter 5, and verse 1. For every high priest, where is he taken from? Taken from among men, is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmities. And by reason hereof, he ought, as for the people, so also for himself to offer sins. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God as was Aaron. So what's the pattern? Now, I know the priest is a little different than the prophet and the king. The priest is a little different that he, the priest, had to be a descendant of Aaron. He came from one tribe and from one lineage. And it had to be that way. But nonetheless, he was taken, he was chosen by God from among the people well, not among the people, from among the priests. He was chosen by God. And it is, it's a beautiful picture. 
The priest could have compassion on the people that he ministered to. Why? Because he was one of them. You see, he had infirmities. He had problems. He had struggles. Just like the people he was ministering to did. Taken from among men. Called of God. Now, it doesn't end there. Note what verse 5 says. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee, as he saith in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus Christ himself, he did not take that honor upon himself. It was given to him of his father. And the significant thing is that Jesus Christ became one of us so that he could effectively, and that's a part that I hardly know how to comp, what to say about or how to comprehend it. That Jesus Christ became one of us in order that we could be, he could minister effectively to us. But it fits exactly the pattern of the Old Testament. That They were to be taken from among the people and called by God into a position of leadership, be it prophet, be it priest, be it king. And Jesus also himself, he became one of us. And that is that is the beautiful thing about the incarnation of Jesus Christ, is that he became one of us and he identifies with us as your leadership should be able to identify with you as well. Now, very briefly, the New Testament pattern as well. Um, Acts 6. Now, you may, in Acts 6, you may, uh, and, and some of these New Testament scriptures, you know what the Acts 6 is. When the deacons were called... But when the deacons were called, it doesn't say specifically that God called them. But how many of you believe that they were called of God? Do you believe that they were called of God? Though it doesn't say that specifically. But one thing I would mention in in Acts chapter 6 is that it says that the apostles told the people, Look ye out among you. Who is it? that meets the criteria, the qualifications for this position. And they gave, they named some of those qualifications. Uh, Maybe we'll turn to Acts 14. Acts 14 and verse 21. And when they had preached, when they had preached the gospel, speaking of Paul and Barnabas, when they had preached the gospel to that city and taught many, they returned unto Lystria and Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, 
that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Acts 5. I mean, excuse me. Not Acts 5. Um, in Titus, Titus was told that he, he was left in Crete and one of his jobs was to ordain men into positions of leadership. And I'm not going to turn to that. And then he goes on to give the qualifications for leadership. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Again, the qualifications for bishop, qualifications for deacon. And then it says that, that thou, that thou knowest how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the church of God. So why, why was Timothy instructed with the qualifications of leadership? So he knew how to proceed with the work of the church of Jesus Christ. And part of that was ordaining elders. And I would turn with me to 2 Timothy. In verse chapter 2, in verse 1, it says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in, Je- in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So this is a succession. One man is taught. He teaches others who will continue to teach The New Testament pattern. So what is the divine pattern for leadership? The man is to be called of God. And he's to be taken from among his brethren. And I bless our churches for maintaining that practice of calling men from among us to fill positions of leadership. I'm glad we don't have to send out a committee into some other and try to look, see if there's a man that's qualified to come and minister to us. So, how does the church assume her responsibility in maintaining godly leadership? And I would simply say to us, I challenge us to embrace the biblical pattern. Embrace the biblical pattern. And so if we're going to embrace the biblical pattern, if we're going to assume the responsibility that is the churches, I guess I would say first we ascertain what the need is. And you have done that already. 
you've you've decided that it's time to ordain a deacon and you've ascertained the need. And secondly, it is imperative that we seek the face of God and we seek to know the will of God. And my friends, as I begin, this is serious work. And it is imperative that you take this work seriously. This is not a time for personal agenda. Lay aside any bias that there may be. Because we want God to do his work. And the one thing that I have said, and I've said this numerous times to various people, the scripture is not overly specific as to how we are to conduct an ordination. It just says, you know, they ordained elders in every city. How did they go about it? In Acts it says, they allowed the people to choose. Um, How do we go about it? And I would simply say this. Because of the the lack of specifics in the scripture in regarding to how the ordination process is to work. We have some lateral to function in how we proceed with an ordination. But the one thing I will tell you and I would impress upon you tonight, and this is something I've said to numerous people, if we honor God in the process I believe and am convinced that God will honor the process. You say, well, why don't you do it this way? Well, the process is not really the issue. The issue is whether or not in the process we are willing to surrender our will to God's and say, thy will be done. And if we honor God in the process then I am convinced that God will honor the process. And this is why this is so important. Tonight, we take the first step in this ordination process. So, called of God and yet you have a responsibility a responsibility in this whole process may I tell you what we're looking for and I think I can speak for my both of my brethren though I think brother Dwight should probably say this but By the grace of God, we would hear from your corporate voice what God is saying in relation to the ordination of a deacon here. All of you will give a we're not looking, we're not necessarily listening for one voice. I mean, an indi- let me put it this way, an individual voice. We're listening to, we want to hear 
what God, the first step we are taking is to hear from you and to hear what God is telling us about proceeding with this ordination. And I wish you God's blessing as you go through this process. I know it's serious work. And yet I trust that you have spent adequate time praying and fasting that God would speak through you corporately so that we know how to proceed. The Lord bless you.